Now we're going to get started tonight. <laughs> it's a joy to see you here tonight. Um, and uh, nobody had an experience like the movie Twister, seeing flying cows tonight, so that's a good thing. And it's just a joy to see you here. And we get to worship God together um, in His Word and in prayer. And I'm excited about the message that we have in front of us tonight. Uh, tonight we're going to forge ahead on our mission to grow in becoming people of prayer who know how to pray in accordance to God's will. And in pursuit of that goal, what we're doing is we're studying Paul's prayers as recorded in the pages of the New Testament um, because these prayers being recorded in Scripture are uh, perfect expressions of God's will. And so as we study them, we're learning uh, what praying in accordance to God's will looks like, what it looks like when we pray for the things that God wants us to pray for. And so as we step into Paul's prayer closet, if you will, and listen in on his prayers, we're learning what to adore, appreciate, ask for, admonish, and amen in our own prayer lives. That is our outline for this study. And we've already finished looking at the first two of those five points. We looked at what to adore in prayer, and we're to adore God. We're to worship him for everything that he is in and of himself. Then we looked at what to appreciate in prayer, and what we're to appreciate is Christ and every spiritual blessing that comes to us in him. And we looked at a few of them, namely we should thank him for spiritual victory, for grace, for faith, for hope, love, life, spiritual growth, ministry, and we should thank God for each other. Well, tonight we begin our third section of our study, and that is what to ask for in prayer. What to ask for in prayer. See, prayer, at its essence, is talking with God uh, in a similar fashion that you talk to somebody else. So when you see a friend, you might acknowledge or compliment them for something about themselves, right? You might walk up to them and say, hey, your hair looks really nice if you were a girl. Um, or good-looking shirt if you're a guy, right? Um, we're to do that with God. We're to appreciate and, and uh, we're to acknowledge and compliment him. Dear God, you are holy. You are loving. You are good. You're such a wonderful God. So what are you doing in those moments? You're talking to God like you talk to anybody else. Another thing that you might do when you see a friend is you might thank them for something that they've done for you, right? Thank you for letting me borrow your pen, right? Thank you for helping me out in this task I had to do, right? We're to do the same with God. Thank you, God, for taking care of me today. Thank you for helping me uh, do what I needed to do. Talking to God like you'd talk to anyone else. Well, another thing that you might do if you were to talk to a friend is ask him for something, right? For in other words, this is something my wife says to me quite often. Hey, you're taller than me. Can you please put this on the top shelf, right? Or you might say, hey, you're stronger than me. Can you please lift this and move this for me from this location to another? That's what we're to do with God also, right? Dear God, can you please give me what I need right now? Uh, can you please help me take care, or can you please take care of the situation for me? That's the third way that we're to talk to God in prayer, by making requests, by asking God for things. Philippians 4, 6 says this, Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So we're to ask God for the things that we need. And God doesn't mind when we do that. He's never bothered by us asking him for things as his children. In fact, he's the one who's telling us to ask him for things. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, Cast all your anxieties on him, every single one of them. Why? Because he cares for you. In other words, you can toss every single one of your concerns and cares up to God in prayer. 
without holding back one of them. Why? Because in Christ, God is your Father, and He loves you and has promised to take care of you. Now, one of the difficulties in bringing our requests before God in prayer is that we often ask for wrong things, as James 4.3 says. We ask for wrong things in order to spend it on our own passions. For example, when I grew up, I used to pray that God would fill my bedroom with Lego sets. That didn't happen. Why? Because God had no vested interest in me possessing all those Lego sets. It probably wasn't best for me. Therefore, it wasn't given to me, right? If we're not careful, we can ask for things that we want for ourselves that have nothing to do with what God wants for us. The power of prayer comes when what we want and what God wants begins to align, right? And we begin to pray for what God wants to happen in our lives. And so these next few weeks and months are going to be really exciting as we learn as a church what to pray for, what to pray for and how to pray for what God wants to happen in our lives. Now, according to my account, there are 22 prayers that Paul gives in the New Testament that are prayers of requests, where Paul specifically asks God for something. And as I've studied those, I think those 22 prayers can be organized under three main categories. Uh, Here are those three categories to consider. How to pray for those outside of Christ. Those are some of Paul's prayers. Then how to pray for those who are in doubt. In other words, people that you're not quite sure are in Christ or outside, they're in doubt. And then also how to pray for those who are in Christ. So kind of three categories of people. Those outside Christ, those in doubt, and those inside Christ. And we're going to journey through those three categories together as a church. Tonight we're going to look at that first category of how to pray for those who are clearly outside of Christ. And what's interesting is that there's only... One prayer offered up by Paul in the pages of the New Testament for those who are outside of Christ. And that singular prayer is focused exclusively on their salvation. Paul doesn't pray for their quality of life. He doesn't pray for their health. He doesn't pray for their finances. He doesn't pray for their, benef- or by, he doesn't pray for their relationships with others. He prays for one thing, that they might be saved. As we'll see tonight, that one issue eclipsed all others in the heart of Paul. And so how can we learn to pray in accordance with God's will when it comes to those who are outside of Christ? Answer, we should pray for their salvation. This comes from Romans 10.1, Romans 10.1, where Paul writes these words, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. This is Paul praying for their salvation. But before we go any further, let's ask the Lord to help us understand what he has to say to us tonight. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for how Paul was carried along by your Holy Spirit to write these words down for us. For in His very example, we have shown for us how we ought to pray, what our heart's desires ought to be for those outside of Christ. And Father, I pray that You would just restore to our minds and our hearts and our souls a focus on what truly matters when it comes to those who are around us who need to know Jesus. 
Father, though those souls may be bearing many cares and concerns, there is but one great preeminent need. And so, Father, help us to keep that in our minds and in our hearts when we pray for those who need to know Jesus. pray that you would guide us by your Spirit on level paths through your Word tonight for your name's sake. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as I said before, this is Paul asking God to save those who are yet outside of Christ. And in the immediate context of chapter 9, verses 1 through 3, and verse 31, he's specifically praying for those who are ethnic Israelites like him. Uh, As he says in verses 1 through 3, kinsmen according to the flesh. And Paul says, brothers, my heart's in prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. Notice, Paul begins here by a word that we might just kind of quickly breeze over, but I don't think we should. Every word of God is inspired, right? He starts off by saying, brothers. That word is adelphos in the Greek, and it means from the same womb. And this is, a, this is significant because what Paul is doing here is drawing an intimate connection between himself and his listeners. He's connecting them and us and reminding us, hey, we're from the same womb. Even though I'm a Jew and most of you that he was writing to are Gentiles with a few Jews in there, we are still related. We're still connected. We're part of the same spiritual family. And that is true for all of us who have trusted in Jesus Christ for our salvation. We have been born again from above. We are from the same spiritual womb, if you were, and belong to the same spiritual family. Jesus himself uses this same imagery in John 3, 5 through 6, when he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. I don't want to get graphic, but those are birthing from the womb terms being used there. And then Jesus says in verse 6, That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Right. So we who are spiritually born again in Christ are all from the same spiritual womb. As James 1.18 says, of his own will he brought us forth, literally God birthed us by the word of truth. So we're all in the same family, the family of God. And Paul's making this point, because if we're all from the same spiritual womb, if we're all brothers and sisters with the same spiritual fa- in the same spiritual family of God, then that means that we should all be showing the same spiritual resemblance. We should be desiring the same things spiritually because we're of the same womb. That's what Paul is implying. If this is what Paul, a brother in Christ, spiritually yearns for and desires in the Spirit and prays for, then we should desire and pray for this as well because we're of the same womb. And so Paul is doing more here than just telling us what he prayed for. So we just have a good biographical sketch. No, he is teaching us what we should pray for. And so what did Paul pray for? How did he pray for those who are outside of Christ? And what we find out here is that Paul had only one single solitary prayer for them. And that's what he says next. He says, brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they might be saved. I want you to notice Paul's singular focus here. He doesn't say, hey brothers, one of my heart's desires and one of my prayers for them is that they might be saved. No, he in the Greek says rather emphatically, the desire of my heart and the prayer that I have to God for them is that they might be saved. 
So this is fascinating when I was thinking about this. Paul does not approach those outside of Christ with what you could say shotgun prayers, right? God, take care of their health, take care of their family, take care of their finances, and oh yeah, take care of their souls while you're at it. No, Paul approaches those who are outside of Christ with a sniper gun mentality, right? Not a shotgun mentality. He prays, God, save their souls. I don't have anything else to say. Just save their souls. Paul is laser-focused in that one most important issue. And that's not to say that the other issues in their life don't matter. They do. But what Paul is saying here and reminding us of tonight is Christ's own focus for their souls. Given in Mark 8.36 where Jesus said this, What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet loses what? His own soul. See, when it comes to praying for the lost, what will it profit them if by our prayers they gain a perfect body with perfect health, covered in perfect clothes, living with a perfect family, in a perfect marriage, possessing a perfect bank account, then to go perfectly into hell? What will it have profited them at all? All of our prayers would be vain and worthless and useless. So what are we praying for when it comes to the unsaved in our lives? Our prayers, when it comes to all of those things, will profit them nothing. The only prayers of ours that will be of benefit to those outside of Christ are those that end with Paul's own words recorded here. That they might be what? Saved. When it comes to praying for those outside of Christ, Paul shows us by his own example here to not get distracted. We should have a laser focus. God save their souls. I don't have anything else to say. Just do whatever it takes to save their souls. And about all those other things, all those earthly things that Jesus says in Matthew 6, the Gentiles and the unsaved worry about, all of those things will be added to them when they seek God's kingdom and His righteousness. All those things will be taken care of when they come to know God through faith in Christ Jesus as their Father. When they come to know their sin and they come to know and desire Christ above all. So I want to encourage you tonight. Many of you are probably praying on a, or hopefully are praying on a regular basis for some unsaved individuals in your life. And because they don't know Christ and aren't walking in wisdom by the Spirit, they probably have a lot of issues that are going on in their life, right? Personally, they have a lot of issues. Relationally, they have a lot of issues. Financially, they might be having a lot of issues. I want to encourage you tonight to not get distracted in your prayers by any of those things, but to let all of those issues direct you back with laser focus to the most pressing need of their life to be saved. To recognize their sin and to run to Jesus Christ for forgiveness. Let your prayers be constantly shaped by that. God, do whatever it takes to save their souls and really believe it. When it comes to their health, their marriage, their family, their finances, do whatever it takes to save their souls. Give them health. Take it away if it means to save their souls. Save their marriage or take it away if it means to save their souls. Deal with their finances. Destroy their finances if it means saving their soul because what does it matter if they gain the whole world and yet lose their own soul. This is really convicting for me. 
So, how do your prayers for the unsaved need to change tonight in order to bring your prayers in alignment with God's will of how we ought to pray for those who are lost? Because every prayer we pray for those outside of Christ should always have this desire at the heart of it, that they might be saved. Every prayer that we pray for those outside of Christ should always have this desire at the heart of it, that they might be saved. This is remarkable to think about when you consider the wide range of those who are outside of Christ that we are to pray about, (laughs) right? That we are to pray for. That wide range is actually reflected here in this verse because Paul says that he is praying for them, meaning the Jews. Think about that. First, the Jews were those who were nearest, you could say, to Paul's natural affections, right? As he says back in chapter 9, verse 3, they were his brothers, his kinsmen, according to the flesh, right? And Paul meant that literally. Paul's own family members were Jews. So Paul prayed with a laser focus for those nearest to his natural affections that they might be saved. But second, the Jews were also those who you might say were farthest from Paul's natural affections. After all, he just said in chapter 9, verses 30 through 33, that the Jews were those who were rejecting the gospel, who were offended by it, who were stumbling over it. And if you read the book of Acts, the Jews were the ones who were most often persecuting Paul and almost killed him several times over. And so the Jews were not only those who were the nearest to his natural affections, they were those who were also the farthest from his natural affections. And yet, how was Paul praying for them? He was always praying against them. He was always praying for them, for their salvation. I don't know about you, but if I almost got stoned by someone to death, my natural inclination would not be to stand up and pray for them. But that was Paul's heart. That was Paul's heart. He prayed for them anyway, like Matthew 5.44 says. He prayed for those who persecuted him just as Jesus commands. Whether they were affectionate towards him or whether they were hostile, Paul only had one prayer and one heart desire for anyone outside of Christ, and that was that they might be saved. So I want to encourage you again. God has surrounded you and put people in your life who do not know Christ. Some of them are easy for us to love. Some of them are hard for us to love. Some of us treat some of them treat us kindly. Some of them treat us horribly. I want to encourage you to have one single solitary prayer on their behalf that they might be saved. It is in this way that we reflect most closely our Savior who Himself prayed on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. With a supernatural affection like Christ, that's how we do it. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they might be saved. So I want to encourage you as the Lord brings those who are outside of Christ into your life, don't get distracted by the issues that are surrounding the core root. Their need to be saved. Stay laser focused on that. 
And tonight, let's join Paul in praying according to God's will and pray for those that we know outside of Christ that they might be saved.